Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Next to the Cow Street Bridge Show me some photographs I'd like to know where you've been I've been right here Writing the same damn song Using the same folklore I show you the melody But I can't seem to nail down the words Oh Lord Don't you know it's a damn shame That the storefronts on the avenue Man, the city don't feel the same It's a crime what the time can do Don't you know it's a damn shame Don't you know it's a damn shame Inside his mind I think of him now and then As I sit by the riverside I found a place To take away the pain It's always been right here Just close your eyes And count your breaths Till you disappear Oh Lord Don't you know it's a damn shame If the storefront's on the avenues Man, the city don't feel the same It's a crime what the time can do Don't you know it's a damn shame Don't you know it's a damn shame Cow Street Bridge Show me some photographs I'd like to know where you've been I've been right here Writing the same damn song Using the same four chords I'll show you the melody But I can't seem to nail down the words Oh Lord Don't you know it's a damn shame Empty storefronts on the avenue Man, the city don't feel the same It's a crime what the time can do Don't you know it's a damn shame Don't you know it's a damn shame Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was Damn Shame by artist J.M. Clifford. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing today? Hey, everybody. Hey, Carl. Hey, Nicole. You're going to laugh at me, but you know what that the guy's voice reminds me of, J.M.? 
Remember Dion and everybody here, Abraham Martin and John, that song? It mm-hmm. sounds like if Dion from that song sang bluegrass, that's who this reminds me of, if Dion yeah. went bluegrass. Does that sound ridiculous? I, no, I, I, heard, I hear it a little bit differently. I actually hear it as like, you know, it's obviously like steeped in bluegrass in, in the instrumentation, but I think his vocal is probably a little more singer-songwriter than it is and a little more listenable, quite frankly, than, than bluegrass. some of, that, some no, of the right. bluegrass vocals. Yeah, That's probably what I'm hearing, definitely, because yeah. his voice had more of a, a tone to it. Because usually yeah. the bluegrass singers, no offense, but it's just they just kind of do something before they do some fiddling or banjo playing. It's colloquial. You know? Yeah, they, they just throw it in there to have something to do between, in between playing solos and stuff. But yeah, this is actually right. I, I mean, there, there's some there's some amazing, you know, like bluegrass artists out there that have that kind of high lonesome or nasal, more nasal. You in know, your it was upper one register. of my f- most favorite instrumentalists. I don't even know the guy's name, but when I was living in Nashville, I was at the Ryman and I saw Allison Krauss, and the guy who plays the dobro for Allison Krauss, the guy was just amazing. You know who that is, Greg? Yeah, Jerry Douglas. Yeah, well, the guy is just yeah, amazing. Jerry, he just, Jerry Douglas. He, yeah. he stands there and, and he stands up. And he, and he has it open on he, he, the guitar on its side with that weird strap, you know, with, with the guitars up. And he just, and it's like, because she, she's amazing anyway, you well, know. As love, is he. Yep. And, and he's, they're like, and, and again, quite honestly, it's not really my taste in music per se, you know. But listen to them, though, it, it, it's it's pretty amazing. So yeah. Well, so for me, um, that reminds me of... Basically, and this is a fun fact that you two do not know about me and most people don't, but when I was in high school, I was a huge Buckwheat Zydeco fan. Like, I was a Zydeco girl. and Really? Yeah, me and my cousin um, and my uncle and a couple of uh, other people in our family, we would religiously go to his concerts every single summer and we would follow him around and we actually got him to play for my cousin's 17th birthday on a boat when we were doing a boat tour around Manhattan. So when I first heard his music... It just reminded me of that time, and it kind of brought me back there. Even though he has sounds nothing like Buckwheat Zydeco, and his voice is a little bit better in terms of being able to listen to it, the feel of it and the vibe of it just brought me back to like those summers. Isn't Zydeco a kind of genre? Cool. It is, but like bluegrass spills into that a little bit. Zydeco is, um, I think, um, Louisiana um, kind yeah. of New Orleans region you know we mentioned jerry douglas earlier and we uh, her her band is amazing she also had a guy uh, named dan Tominsky. dan played in her band and m- what most people don't realize is that most of america's love affair with bluegrass was probably expanded when they made a film called oh brother where art thou oh sure mm-hmm. yeah rich yeah. music and, and bluegrass most people don't know that dan Timsky, he actually provided the voice for who's the um actor that George was in clooney. the film yeah clooney and uh they were a big part of that soundtrack for that film so you know it's yeah. cool about her too like she's doing all this stuff with robert plant yeah, she's cool. I saw her do a um, one of those CMT, you know, where two different artists get together, and she was with Heart, the band Heart, and mm-hmm. she sang like you know that these, crossroads type yeah, thing yeah, they do. Yeah, and she did this these dreams, and her voice to me is flawless. I, I think she's like she's like you know if an angel could sing, it'd be like Alison Krauss. It's yeah. bizarre you mentioned that because we had a conversation earlier today, and we we figured we would bring up the topic of kind of artistry and. And the vibe that artists have, and um, right. 
I thought specifically about how that applies to bands. And I thought immediately of Robert Plant because I actually have a friend that is working with him or has worked with him in, uh, in the recent past uh, on those records with Allison. Right. And he spent a lot of time in Nashville, actually, and was with his friend last week. And we were he was relating some stories. And, uh, you know, Robert Plant's the kind of person that he is. He's a bona fide legend in the rock world. But yet, you know, he's kind of in and out of the coffee houses of Nashville. And you don't really get that presence off of him. He's kind of just uh, he's a nice guy, you know, that's like. Well, it seems of, like yeah, he seems like he's like. That was one part of my life. Now I'm here at this part. Yeah, and they're, I, I they're agree separate. with that. You had said a few episodes back that nothing has really changed in the music industry. And I started thinking about that. And I think the fact that the music industry at large still is basically a flesh peddler. I think that that's true, that things have not changed. And I think people always gravitate towards these personalities, or sometimes we call it the X factor. People gravitate to the people. And then, you know, whether or not you're able to sell them anything at this point in time, uh, that remains to be seen. I think the business itself has gone away to the extent that it's very difficult to sell somebody something these days, but people are still going to follow these interesting characters. They're still going to be impacted by, uh, or they're going to be intrigued by, or they're going to follow, or they're going to be a fan of somebody who comes out and who is unique and different or somebody that's got that X factor. So everybody, anybody know. who's anybody from go back to Sinatra. Yep. To today, you know, that Prince, cult of personality, you know, thing, even right? you know, Prince, Bowie, the Beatles, right. when they first started with their hair, they were different, you know, Madonna, you know, Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, you know, they all had something going on. I think that initially is what you need. You know, what makes them sustain is the quality if they have any substance and then they can continue. Like Bowie started out as a kind of a cartoon character, but he went, you know, throughout the years, he was, you know, he just had, he had the goods. The Beatles, yep. too. They started as, if you ask me, the Beatles were the Jonas Brothers of, of 62, 63. You know, they were right. doing, you know, goofy songs. I wanna, blah, blah. You know, like, you know, they, they, they grew into being this the Beatles. They, yep. they were just these four little cute little guys in suits with, with little haircuts, you know? <laughs> so and they really, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm by, by no means uh, a Beatles expert. I know very little about them, but I, I, I think that it's fairly obvious that. The way they were marketed, they were marketed as four individual personalities from the beginning. Yeah, that, uh, it is kind of weird. Like they're one of the yeah. few bands, the Stones too, but the Beatles. Yeah, John, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. For some reason, you knew everybody in the band. You know, right. you knew, you know, you knew Mick and Keith. You know, everyone knew Bill Wyman, and you know, but still, it's different. You, you, yep. you, you know, Steven Tyler, and you know. Um, you know, Joe Perry, but that's about it. But like, yep. yeah, but for some reason, the Beatles, yeah, John, well, I think that's why the monkeys, you know, you know, the yep. monkeys kind of ripped that off, copied that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was certainly the monkeys are, are fascinating because, you know, it was absolutely positively calculated, but yet a lot of people don't realize that when the Beatles and the monkeys met, they were basically uh, admiring of one another and admiring of what it took to basically navigate 
this crazy fandom thing. Yeah, you know, if you look back, there's this great the making of Sergeant Pepper, right? Right. You know, there's a film about that. In the film, you see Mike Nesmith from the Monkees and Mickey Dolenz in in the movie. They're they're hanging out with the Beatles. You know, at in '66, '67, they were as famous as them. They were equally as famous. You know, yep, that's it. I think '66, the the Monkees outsold the Beatles even that one year. So it just goes to show you, man. Well, and if if you want to also bring that parallel of like the Monkees and the Beatles up, maybe about thirty, forty years to like what my generation experience when we were growing up that's kind of what no we only talk about things <laughs> 50 years Back old in the day. But, nothing, nothing relative please but when we were growing up to kind of compare like what the monkeys and the beatles were doing that's what like NSYNC and backstreet boys and the and those type of like boy bands were kind of personifying they were giving which one was the beatles and which one was the monkeys i, I think backstreet boys were the monkeys and NSYNC were the beatles now the NSYNC was more the real band you thought um i do especially because if you think about it like Justin Timberlake came out of it. Lance Bass. Kind He's of Paul McCartney own, then. Yeah. Uh, Lance uh, Bass had his own like career after and things like that. Whereas like the Backstreet Boys. He was Ringo. Fizzled out. <laughs> so. You would, you, you would, uh, if you were going to be nerdy about it, you'd probably point to the, to the boy band that wrote their own material. But I don't know how much writing was going on. I don't on, think any but, of them wrote their own material. Yeah, to be uh, honest, I think like, the I think the I think the in sync guys were actually writing some. I don't know. I don't know that to be true. But you know the the whole boy band phenomenon is and girl band for that matter. Uh, it is just part and parcel to this idea that the music industry really is about the personalities mm-hmm. and the music is most times secondary, you know, I mean, it's it's funny, but you're right. If you look at the example, Carl, you get with Lady Gaga, her image was what made her like, that's what got her on the map. And it's only like years later where we're starting to really see more of her like talents and like musicianship because she's established herself. Well, that's what they do. Then they, they, they don't need the meat suits anymore because now they're, they're who they are. So now let's see if they got the goods. So that's what kind of that's what happened with Bowie. And you, you know? and you get the attention, right? Yeah. And, you know, but- and then people are going to decide whether or not they're going to listen to it on an extended basis. Um, want to hear him play another song? Cause yeah. we've been talking. Yeah. We've yeah. been talking for a while. What do you want to listen to? <laughs> We're going to do on a Saturday night. On a Saturday night by J.M. Clifford. Yes. Honey, can we step outside? Cause I'm burning up like a diamond match under these neon lights. I can't give it one more minute, something don't feel right. Cause the Lord knows ain't nobody home on a Saturday. Lord knows ain't nobody home on a Saturday night Soul music, cold friends, long lost walk in the rain 
Steps just trying to stay out of the line. Lord knows, ain't nobody home on a Saturday night. Lord knows, ain't nobody home on a Saturday night. Lord knows, ain't nobody home. That's kind of cool. You're right, Greg. I think he's he's a kind of a singer songwriter. Yeah, it's um that one's kind of down tempo. It's kind of cool. I, very I like very singable. The melody goes in the very it, yeah. very singable song. I could see that yeah, easily, absolutely easily yeah. in like a soundtrack of. And a, it's kind of kind of dark around the edges. And yeah, it, it, it I, I even took like, me into one of those empty bars. And somewhere. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just mm. supposing that. He purposely left that breath in there because mm. you, you hear him really breathing. And I think he wanted to do that on purpose. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Do Makes you guys it want intimate. Make it intimate. Like I'm just there just like, because normally most guys would cut that out, but he just wanted to be real and just, you know, like authentic and honest. Like I'm singing this, you know? And so I think, yeah, very cool. Well, you want to know I, a little know, bit more information about him just because ahead. we don't have any questions. He's going to, so we're giving you a little bit of introduction for everyone listening to J.M. Clifford and he releases his album in August. So in August, we're going to have more songs from him and we'll have questions that he's going to answer to get more information about him. But to give you a little bit of a background, basically his album on a Saturday night, which is also the main single off of it will come out in August. Damn Shame, which we heard in the beginning was the second single and then Kick the Drum, which you'll hear towards the end of this episode is a single that comes out on June 25th. He is a bluegrass singer-songwriter from Brooklyn, and his entire album is based off of losing- Brooklyn, Louisiana? No, Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Brooklyn, New York, and it was actually recorded at the Bunker Studio in Bushwick. Is that Bushwick, Alabama? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Carl. (laughs) Um, But basically, the entire album was used for him to process the death of his parents and his recent divorce that all happened during the pandemic. So, yeah, yeah, very very kind of tragic situation, but Mm. it's giving us really good music so well music is the balm you know it is the, you know, it's the but, healer yeah so the s factors I, I think people don't really understand what they're doing that they don't they, they just think 
They, I don't know. They, I mean, they may just not understand what a stage presence is and how having a really clear persona on how you want to like project yourself to people can really amplify how people take you seriously in the music industry. Particularly in country, there, there's this kind of every man aspiration, right? Where uh, I'm just going to be me. If an ounce of that is manufactured, it can backfire on you. Yeah, Springsteen uh, was, was, is the epitome of that. He is the every man, but he personifies it. And like yeah. he's like larger than life about it. But sometimes just being authentic, again, I always bring this up. Maybe you're just not good enough. You maybe, maybe you are, th- you know, you can be authentic, but what if you're authentically mediocre? You know, yeah, what I'm the authentic you's boring. So get off yeah. the stage. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, right. at least know your, know what you're doing. I feel, I don't know, you know, I think that there's, there's some historical kind of stuff out there about in particular country music. Where you you had these every men, you had these guys that were basically bringing the music of Appalachia and bringing the music of their communities to the stage, and you know somebody said at some point, hey, you know maybe you ought to dress up a little bit, you know, take that work shirt off, you know, and that's where like the kind of the sequins and the and the show clothes and the the right. kind of the the spiffied up version of country came. Because right, of- uh, so you almost had costuming associated with country western we, music. I, so I, I, we met that guy, the guy who makes the suits down in on, in in Asheville. What was that guy's name? Yeah, so you're. I think you're probably talking about um, uh, Manuel. Manuel, yeah, right? Exactly right. Uh, but I think he actually worked with Nudie. Who Nudie, was right? He was the he was the, the founding that, guy. Right. But I mean, that whole thing was kind of based upon the idea. It's like, hey, you can't get off work. And come down here to the dance hall and perform in your sweaty white work shirt. Unless you know? you're Elvis Presley. Well, you know. Because there are always exceptions to the rule. I often said this. The Ziggy Stardust Bowie might be a goof today. Wouldn't be accepted. I think the Beatles would be very tepid right now if they broke now with those suits. and the, But I think Elvis, the way he was, if he just appeared today again, I think he'd make it again. I think Elvis was just like... He was kind of incredible. I, I think maybe I'm. Yeah, there's this generational. There's this generational thing going on that is disturbing to me. I've heard it three or four places on various media outlets, and evidently younger folks are basically casting Elvis in this shadow of Racist? culturally appropriating black music. And I think it's a false narrative. I think it's ridiculous, but yet I think it's sticking. And so people that have been a fan of Elvis, people that appreciate uh, his career, people that uh, have been surrounded by the impact that he had on society in general, we need to step up. I, I say we, I mean, I, I've enjoyed what he does, but I think I've looked at it kind of anthropologically. None of that, to me, none of that negates what I'm talking about. You know, he might have yeah. been a redneck for all I know. He might have been a racist for all I know. I don't know. I don't think he was, probably. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about how he appropriated black well, music. Well, I'll you bet know? you. Well, I'll bet you. Well, you know, you, you, you got you to gotta go to Sam Phillips. You know, that's you want to get into the whole history right. of rock and roll. There was you know, a whole Sam, industry Sam doing Phillips that. Sam Phillips basically exactly. was saying, like, Little Richard, you know, exactly. Bo Diddy, these guys were great but yeah. but radio wouldn't play them so one day elvis goes into sun records to record that's all right mama as a birthday gift for his mother 
You know, if you know the history, I think that I think that and that probably occurred. Right. It definitely occurred. And then the engineer yeah. calls up Sam. I want you to come down here. <laughs> like, right. like, so he listens to the record. He goes, "That's the guy right there." So I'm like, just making the point that that you made, which is that if Elvis were 18 years old today, he would it. have a career in 2060. I agree you know? because he's yeah. just because he's yeah. like maybe down the road maybe Tom Parker they ripped off writers they ripped off mm. stuff I know they did they right. weren't the best but Elvis himself I don't think initially he was he was ripping off anybody he was just doing what he did and 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 the world embraced it because you know I don't know that, that's all it was so I don't I, think- I know people that worked with Elvis I know people that knew Elvis personally I was lucky enough to meet a lot of people in the early eighties in Nashville. Elvis was gone by then, but I have witnessed this, quotes, X factor at work. I mean, I was in the same room and had met Johnny Cash two or three times in the 80s. And I can tell you that when Johnny Cash walked into a room, the room stopped. You know, I mean, that was Exactly. And he's like a guy, like, I'm a New York rocker. All I knew from Johnny Cash is, you know, false in prison and my name is Sue. That's all I knew from him. You know, I thought I hated that music, but- he still was Johnny Cash. Yeah, he still, he still had a it. national television show. Right, and, and like, had, yeah, so made like, movies and, yeah, right. So he proves my point. Like, he was yeah. pure it factor, man, you know? Yeah. Chris yeah. Christopherson, these guys, Wailing Jennings, these yeah. guys are iconic kind of people, man. They, yeah. they, they, you know, so so that's what I guys, they don't realize. And the thing is, that the funny thing is, you can't kind of create it. You can be a right. good writer, a good singer, but, but you kind of you kind of either have it or you don't. Right. It's like a it's like a comedian. Like uh, I'm sorry, even comedians will tell you you can't learn to be a comedian. You might be able to learn how to say the words and, and get the timing, but it's just in your bones. It's something you got. It's who you are, and and that's just that's what you know. That's why people who are really great are celebrated because it's rare. Mm-hmm. And that's and the I problem. think that yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and I also think that the reason we're talking about it and taking the time to talk about it because we got nothing the, else to do. No, no, <laughs> it's the it's the idea that we've all spent a good deal of our lives, you know, in support of enjoying, in some instances, creating music. You know, so we're kind of confused about the idea that you could no longer. You know, it's no longer a commodity that we can make a living at, but yet we do not want it leaving our lives, right? We want to continue to enjoy it. We want to continue to promote its its being made. This X Factor thing is huge because if someone has X Factor and if they're going to engage in the creative process of making music, I'm hoping we can help people get attention uh, and regardless whether or not they're selling you something, we need to promote the idea that they're going to continue to make this stuff so that it can continue to enrich our lives there. But then speech, I, I, just thought something, I just thought of something too, though. But if you do truly have this X factor, whatever that is, and you put it out there, I think it'll be it'll it'll be seen. There are people who are on the fence who aren't, you know, there are a lot of people who are successful and they don't really have a lot of it or they have some of it or they're just good they have good songs or good this but but then if you're really a truly like an Elvis type guy you you're going to get there. You know, I, I really believe that. You know, even in this Well, yeah, that's man that's a stretch. I'll tell you these days, I mean, because that's one thing. That was one benefit of having 
three major television networks or having three major, you know, kind of record label networks. The idea being that if you do have that X factor, chances are if you get plugged into the machine, you're going to get seen by millions of people. But those networks are waning, you know. You got yeah. The Ed, there's no more Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> no, exactly. You well, cannot. Even, who's, even, who's the, even the late night shows now aren't necessarily getting as much attention. No, not at all. I mean, we we you know all worked with someone that was on a major national yeah. uh, television program here recently. You know, you know, and I don't think they got any uplift whatsoever. They got a little. They got a little. But you know, it's you know, it's still. Probably about the best right now for a new music act probably is SNL. You know, you know, if you're a musical guest on Saturday Night Live, you know, it, it's kind of something. That's you, still you, a lot of yeah. attention. It yeah. still gets some yeah, attention. That's that. probably about the, 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 the main one. No more like are the late shows like, but even back then, Carson never really mattered for music. Letterman never really mattered for music. I never thought the late shows really had much clout when it came to music. That's my favorite. Yeah, you can think of iconic music performances on SNL. Right. A bunch mm-hmm. of them. I think it still holds weight. That's why yeah. sometimes the people that they have, I go, really? This is the one they get? You know, I, I think it should be bigger than this, but who knows? Which but, which is kind of interesting because it's hard to be good on those shows. Right. Yeah, one song live. Yeah, you it's know? stupid. You know, like, you know, yep. well, yep. what you need is Don Kirshner's rock concert. <laughs> oh, man. I love me some Don Kirshner's rock you remember, concert. Do you remember, uh, anyone who, who, who doesn't know what I'm talking about, yeah. go, go like back in the 70s and 80s. There's a bunch this, of it on, on Don Kirshner. What, like, wasn't he in charge of the monkeys? Yeah. Yeah, he's so, like the A and R guy for the monkeys. So yeah. he used to have a show at Saturday night, Saturday night, eleven thirty to one o'clock. Don Kirsten's rock concert, and he'd have everybody of the day. Bowie was on that show, you know, the Eagles, every, you know, the New York Dolls. I saw on that show, you know, <laughs> and he would go, and he was this nerdy guy with a comb over <laughs> and, and, and a leisure suit, and come out. He was a music business guy, though, and he, man. And he talked like this. Yeah. Hi, this is Don Kushner. Now we're gonna have we're gonna have the New York Dolls sing their new song, <laughs> "What It's Like to Be in the Jungle." Let's go with the New York Dolls. <laughs> and like, and like no personality. <laughs> it was like right. Was, oh man, he was a he was a legend, man. We'll have yeah. to put some of the stuff that we can find on YouTube in the show notes, yeah. so people Today can see what we're, we're talking have about. The Joan Jett and the Heartbreakers come on and sing their song. Heartbreakers. Well, you know what, what? What's interesting about it is that MTV was basically the next generational iteration of right. all that. Right. You know, and you know, for the first ten years of MTV, you could actually see these acts that you were that that you were interested in, or that you had discovered primarily through radio at that point in time. 82 well, to 80, 90. Yeah. Well, and then yeah. even after that, in like the late 90s, early 2000s, you had Total Request Live or TRL. And that's where, yep. that's where if you were an act, you wanted to be there because you not only had the millions of people watching from home, but the amount of right. buzz it created in Times Square, you would have hundreds of thousands of people lining up just to even catch a glimpse of you looking I'm out Don the window. I'm Don Jr. And now we have... <laughs> The new, we have the new Billie Eilish song. Don Kirshner the third. Yeah, it's the third now, man. Don Kirshner the third. We have the new Flow Rider song. Uh, the rap song of Flow Rider. Let's create Donny K three, and that's right. going to be like our new character. The DK three. You know? uh, I think it's time to get on out of this episode. Let's talk this out, and, and we're going to play. Um, so. So we are going to play. 
Yeah, we're going to play J.M. Clifford's latest single, Kick the Drum, as we get out of the show for you all. After we leave this episode, so we make will be sure playing the me- new J.M. <laughs> Clifford song, Kick the Drum, by J.M. Clifford. <laughs> so make sure you listen all the way to the end. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. For everything that we talked about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters. I sound more like Lawrence Welk, right? <laughs> <laughs> and now, by the one and the two, we're going to have the... All right, I'm going to try that again now. All right. all right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the 9420 Podcast. For all of the links to everything that we talked about throughout the show, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. <laughs> Sounding like an old freight train Hiding at the moon It's empty in the heart of town The cops don't shut the string band down They're just here to dig the sound And call another tune Here's the one that'll go down Right around the trash can lie your breath goes up in the smoke Fiddle and kick the drum Lincoln Street let revelry Stomp those feet on the one and the three And crooked four-part harmony Covered in rust Another round, another song We'll go to the break of dawn And everybody sing along Till we turn to dust to the music that we make at night So we feel alright Laughing at last year's jokes Years ago Years ago it was so damn easy Now I hold on to the thought of you So it won't leave me Oh, I just can't seem to sit still And I'm too tired to run Ride a bottle of rum Put the bow to the fiddle and kick the drum Years ago, years ago It was so damn easy Still, and I'm too tired to run One more bullet ride A bottle of rum Put the ball to the fiddle and kick the drum